1: This is Chris again. I'm here with filmmaker Terry Jones. Hey, Terry, how are you?
0: Hi, hey, Chris. Uh, good. Really
1: good. Good, good. Um, so we're going to start off easy. I don't think that you need to get warmed up because we have a pretty good rapport um, that we've explored pre-recording. But, hey, you know, let's give the audience a chance to catch up. So I want to start with how you kind of got into filmmaking or kind of film in general, how you fell in love with it being like, okay, I'd like to do this myself.
0: Um, Back uh, when I was uh, a preteen, the, um, the federal government had these programs called, I think they were called Johnson O'Malley programs. And what they were, they were enrichment programs for American Indian kids in the summer. And the first summer they had was, I think it was photojournalism. So we created this, Worked on this newspaper over the summer, and it was called the Reservation Times. So we went around and interviewed, you know, a lacrosse player, lacrosse team, or they're building a new bridge. But one aspect of it was uh, was thirty five millimeter uh, photography. And when I saw what went into it, you know, the snap, you know, framing the picture, the composition, um, developing it, printing it, how did it fit into the story? Like I thought that was a great um opportunity to show not just my community but even the outside world what I was thinking was um who we are american indian people and so i took so i loved it and then the following summer or summer was video then i got to see the moving image but for me um this whole idea of like growing up with tv like everybody else um hollywood or TV programs like that was a whole other world that was a world that I thought I would never be able to be part of um and another thing was that I didn't know any I didn't have any role models I didn't have anybody to emulate in terms of oh I want to be a filmmaker like this other famous filmmaker like now I could now young people or native filmmakers can say like Chris Ayer who directed um Smoke Signals I didn't have that growing up. A lot of people didn't have that. Our filmmakers didn't have that. So in some ways, we had to be our own um, role models. So what I ended up doing was just uh, sticking to photography, uh, hoping that somewhere down the road that maybe uh, photography, or sorry, um, I was hoping that somewhere down the road that maybe film I might be able to go to film school or to be a storyteller in terms of using video. Um, But that... You know, that opportunity didn't come until later.
1: Now that you've you've graduated, you went to Syracuse, and you're finished with that program, where do you see yourself? Like, growing up, you say that you didn't know how to, or, like, it wasn't, working in in TV and movies didn't seem attainable or something like that. Do you still... It, do you wish to be just kind of an, an independent filmmaker that can do whatever project that you know comes to your head that's feasible, or are you looking to branch out and do more expensive projects that have um, more intense backing?
0: In 2012, when I decided to go back to school, um, they have a re- Syracuse has a really great opportunity for Native students, uh, Iroquois, or like we like to be called Haudenosaunee. Um, they have a great scholarship program. You get accepted like everybody else, but then you get a full ride. And during my four years there, I took advantage of every opportunity I had. Um, I studied two summers in um, in Italy. Uh, I did a semester in the Czech Republic at the FAMU Film School. Uh, I did a summer in Hollywood, or not a summer. I did a semester in Los Angeles at their campus there. And I got an internship with, uh, they're, I think now they're called Studio 71. They're like a YouTube creator management company. So I was able to see on that end like what Hollywood was and what it meant and what was involved. Um, but in terms of the film program at Syracuse, I was only happy, I only went where the opportunity was. It wasn't until after I accepted it and I was like, okay, I'm in, in film school, what is their approach? And as it turned out... It, it aligned really well with in terms of how I view um, filmmaking. The film program, per se, is not necessarily a fast track to Hollywood. They're more about independent filmmaking. Um, you know, it's not like we will give you the tools to, you know, hopefully if you want to go the route with uh, mainstream, that's there as well. But for us, in terms of our um, the theory and the practical aspect of it, it was all learned by doing, and it's all a matter of what you brought to the table, so for me, it was like my upbringing, growing up on in an Indian reservation, I know it wasn't necessarily a, a mainstream fit. And in terms of native filmmaking opportunities, yeah, Sundance has their native initiative programs, um, but they weren't really, but they're not really, um, I don't, how do I wanna say it? They're not really accessible, I guess, or they are accessible, but they're really selective. But. Uh, um, so as I was working through the film program at Syracuse, I kind of knew at the end I didn't want to necessarily go mainstream. But then I didn't want to be workshopped in Sundance, per se. Um, but a lot of the film works that I that I created during my four years at Syracuse, um, it was done in an academic setting. It was almost like a bubble. And so, you know, instead of... I always just approached it as... They're not just assignments. They're like, well, if I want to put it on YouTube, how do I how do I make it? How do I tell my unique story or a unique perspective in a way that a general audience would want to see? And for me, um, I think I put that on my new website. It's like that. my whole philosophy is it's not only entertaining an audience, it's educating an audience. And the kind of style that I've sort of put into it was also a sort of sense of reflection, giving the audience chances to... To, um to reflect, to kind of live vicariously through these characters who may be different than them, but their processes or the con- their, the content might be different, but their processes are universal. So in the end, um, I graduated and then I decided I'm like, hey, let's submit some of them to, um, you know the film festivals and the first one i sent out was this short documentary called suit for my brother it's a 10-minute doc that i did with my father collaborated with my father and i submitted it to the imaginative film festival in toronto um and then it got accepted so i had and toronto was only about a two-hour drive from where i live so uh, when it had its premiere there i've went to a film festival where it's screened on the you know the toronto international film festival screens It was pretty surreal um, in terms of being able to have an idea or something that's really personal and it's outside the bubble of academia and that that was really the first time that I felt like maybe I do have a point of view or maybe I do have a style that connects with audiences or especially with film festivals. It's not necessarily right now that or as I was doing it like oh great I can make a lot of money. There's not a lot if any money to be made on film festivals, for me, it was all more about the exposure and also learning about um, learning about the process. It's not just attending the film festival, it's what, what are the requirements? Well, they need a you know they need a press kit. Well, what's a press kit? Well, you know, I got to write up you know write a blurb for my film and you know a tagline and then you know what format do they want it in? You know, like I said, the philosophy with Syracuse University, it's you learn by doing. So, I've, you know, these last almost two years now, that's pretty much what I've been doing is learning how to be an independent filmmaker on the aspect of not just being a creator, but also being kind of like a marketer, uh, a fundraiser. Um, yeah, I hope I answered your question.
1: Yeah, no, you answered yeah. you answered my question and then you led to some more questions. Um, so to go back to, uh, the, we were talking, you mentioned Sundance has, has labs and stuff like that. Um, as you're, as a filmmaker, you're kind of always looking, obviously there's always Sundance and it's like, well, let me see what they're up to, you know, let me try to submit or whatever. And the other bigger American ones, um, but I have looked into labs, Not, you know, there's tons of labs, so I'm talking about, like, a Sundance lab and stuff like that. And um, I watch a lot of movies, and I feel like, no offense to the filmmakers if they're listening, but I feel like I can tell when a movie has been at a lab, where it's like, I can kind of see something interesting going on, but it seems like it's withheld from being too interesting or for, like, going further than it could or should. Like the edges that, you know, whatever, a lot of people don't like, but I feel like they are sanded off and it's, it feels very clean. Um, Which means to me, it feels kind of uh, sterile. So I'm always kind of reluctant, you know, lab can be very helpful, but from what I've seen, it kind of feels like it could just um, sterilize your work or prevent it from being like too interesting. And you know, whatever. That's maybe people wouldn't agree with my taste or whatever. Um, but have you looked into that particular lab and do you know like things that have come out from it? Like would it hold any interest to you?
0: It's kind of um it's funny. So you have like the big umbrella which is like Hollywood and mainstream and then there's like different parts of it, you know. Um, you know, you have the Native American film world which is really small. Uh, we all sort of know each other. We're sort of friends with each other on Facebook or social media. And, um, well, I forgot what your question was. Um, I was heading down some path. Um, oh, so so what was interesting was um, Sundance. I did apply, so with my film suit for my brother, I had submitted it to, that's one thing I did learn through My learning process of film festivals is they're not free. A lot of them are not free, Uh, especially Sundance. I think it was sixty dollars by the time I submitted suit for my brother. Um, Suit for my brother did get into a film festival in Los Angeles called the LA Skins Fest, and so I went in for the premiere. They 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 were screening like at the um, the Chinese theater, and um, you know walk right down Hollywood Boulevard, go up that escalator, and boom, it was in one of the theaters and. Um, I went and sat down, and this woman comes walking in, and she introduced herself. She goes, is this where they're showing suit for my brother? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, great. I've heard so much about it. I, I can't wait to see it. So I'm like, well, how random is that? Here I am in, like from New York. I'm in L.A. in this theater, and somebody comes in and wants to see my film, because they weren't just screening mine. They were screening. It was a whole program. So I introduced myself. I go, well, actually, I'm the filmmaker. She goes, oh, I just want you to know that you know, that people are talking about your project at at Sundance and, um, they had a screening and I missed it. So I'm really great that, you know, have an opportunity to see it. And so she saw it and then she, after it was over, she said, congratulations. And then she left. And for a few months, I'm like, wow, did I, am I going to get in? What does that mean? What does it mean? And I didn't get in, but it was just nice enough to know that I'm on their radar. Um, but in terms of I think to get back to your question about whether I'd like workshops or something like that, one thing that I've, that I've grown into since I've been in the film festivals is that people, um, identify or relate to it, to the authenticity. And I know when you were talking about, it feels workshop, like some it feels almost to me, uh, my opinion as well, it could feel a little glossy or if you can, you, you can, You've seen enough films where you're like, "Oh, I know what's going to happen next," or "I know what's down. What's, this is a setup for something down the line." Where you kind of lose that that spontaneity. You sort of lose that, you know, that um, that freedom. Um, but right now, I've I think I applied something else to Sundance uh, about a year ago. It was to go to I think it was it was to go to the Sundance Film Festival. And they were only selecting two Native um, ambassadors, I think they called them. And um, I didn't get selected. And, you know, it was fine. You know, I I don't know how many people were, were applied. But, you know, the thing that I've learned as well is I can't take every no as, like, so personally. Yeah, it stings a little, but... You know and same with like all the film festivals i've submitted to i mean i've submitted into 130 i've got into about 30 um it's a pretty good you know batting average i guess but for every you know sometimes people think wow terry you're on just you're on this trajectory going somewhere um but it's not like i have a magic formula for every 30 that i get into i have a hundred that i don't get into you know and it's you check your emails, and you're like, oh, "Okay, well, he didn't get into that." Well, you know, and you just kind of move forward.
1: Well, how do you deal with that kind of rejection?
0: You know, it's it's sort of funny because I've I've sort of come to understand that it doesn't for me it doesn't mean that the quality of my film isn't good. It just sort of means it doesn't fit into their you know uh, how they're curating. Um, Maybe there's certain themes that come out at a film festival, especially. I you mean, know, I've I've gotten into a lot of native film festivals, and you know they're all over the country in Canada. You know, there's one in Toronto and Winnipeg and um, Los Angeles, Santa Fe. The Smithsonian has one in Santa Fe, um, but I don't necessarily like. As I said, I don't. I'm, I've kind of taken it like, well, it just wasn't a
1: good fit. We probably we deal with a lot of rejection. So it's probably good to keep in mind that, you know, the the kinds of things that we're making aren't like polished and, and glossy. So no matter what, like they're going to have like a smaller audience. And when you're making that, you're making that choice not to make it super uh clean and mainstream. So it's best to keep in mind that You're up against like thousands of others and that you're not um, making it for this like huge, huge, huge mass audience where it's like I won't say that we don't want them. If if for whatever reason they're like, no, we want to watch, you know, Kiristami influenced influence stuff. Um, That's amazing. That's great. That's such a nice world. But, uh, you know, you got to have to keep those in mind. So, yes, I do take rejection fairly But it's good to keep in mind stuff like that like the reality of things.
0: Yeah, I mean when I I apply um, I keep referring back to this short doc suit for my brother but that was that one best documentary at the Liverpool International Film Festival and some festivals give information of like how many submissions they received from which parts of the world or how many countries and how many they selected and With Liverpool it was like twenty six hundred selections or twenty six hundred entries They selected a hundred and, um, you know, and then, so I was happy that it got selected. It was, I think they selected a hundred and then within them are, you know, short docs and narratives and music videos, whatever. And then it wasn't until I found out, they sent me an email that says, oh, you've been shortlisted for best doc. And I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Cause it's, um, you know, it's where the Beatles came from. They're sitting in this theater there. People are watching it and they're relating to it. That was the first time that I realized that, yeah, I'm a native filmmaker, but, you know my dream would be that the outside world would be able to relate with it as well. I mean, it could be any filmmaker whatever wherever your culture is, if you make your content so specific that the out you know the audience can't relate to it um it's it's gonna be hard to get it outside of the people who know it. so when it got into Liverpool and then won, I was like, "Wow, that's great that I mean you know that I made this film that they're watching um." you know, they're watching in a dark theater somewhere in, in Liverpool. Um, I forgot I was going to say, but it was, um, yeah, it's, it's. Um, oh, but it's like those opportunities, th- when those things happen, it kind of soothes over not getting into, like, Sundance, because I'm like, well, you know, I kind of beat the odds, you know, 2,600 to 100 to best doc. I mean, that's great.
1: Like, okay, yeah, Sundance is huge and would be cool to get in, and that goes for, like... How many you know huge festivals are there that would be amazing for my career or your career or something like that? You always you know you have to try, and it's disappointing when another year goes by, you know, and it didn't happen. But um, that doesn't mean that the other things, the other avenues you can go, are pointless. Because it's always like, like, why are you making something? Why are you putting it out there? And those other avenues do have what you want from them. Be them like more local, smaller festivals or certain um, video covering websites, uh, video channels and stuff like that. It's all for something. It's And there's always an audience there. So um, I don't want to discount that with like... The disappointment of not getting into the bigger places um you know it does suck but there are other ways to get your work out there that is you know they're not they're not bad they're worth the road's worth taking
0: you know sometimes i just feel like well i'm gonna do it in spite of rejection you know or in spite of maybe not being um what can I say it's sort of like I'm not a cookie, I'm not a cookie cutter, or I don't want to fit into a cookie cutters. So I'm sort of asking for this sort of, in some ways, rejection, because if I wanted to make those, you know, the kind of films that are, um, you know, like when I was in L.A. So um, this past year, there was another short film of mine that got in called Empire State. Uh, experimental film, five minutes, um, starring my dad, who I had, um, who, who I had um play in the film. You know it's just this in American Indian displaced, sorry. There was this displaced Native American veteran sitting in front of the TV and he's doing these Indian things like taking corn off, you know, a husk and and um processing wild onions while he's watching 9/11 happen and the Iraq war. And something re- it was really um it was it's a different kind of film. And but what came after my film was like a, what I saw was more like a like a la film you know like the street and the apartments and it was about a guy who um he was called rebound guy or something and the very right you know because as I said my films like to have reflection at the end of it so I kind of was like okay so we're going to send the audience off to like think but then the very first scene of the next film was like a, a bedroom scene and there were people the man and woman were having sex and there was all these like noises and I'm like wait, like that, you know, I don't think it took away from my film, but it just, I think it made people snap right out of it instead of, um, anyway, but yeah, those are the things sometimes where, um, I don't know if I'm venturing off into another thing, but, um, curating films are really important as well. When my film was accepted into the Syracuse International Film Festival for Soup for My Brother, the program, it was like, I haven't been gone to all the film festivals, but that one, Was really interesting because it it started with like immigration and uh, the experience of uh, American experience that immigrants have when they come to the country. And then it went into a little bit about the politics, you know, with the 2016 election. And then I think there were like four projects like that. And then, boom, the last two, there was um, My Film Suit for My Brother. And then all of a sudden it sort of made the audience think wait, there were people here before America. And, you know, America just didn't exist. In 1776, it, it, there were people, you know, especially the Iroquois Confederacy. You know, we've been around for a thousand years, living in relative peace through all that time, and um, so it was really, it was a real. I felt like the curation of of that film festival, my my film fit right into it, and um, that's why I said sometimes I don't take it. I don't take it personal if it doesn't fit in. But right now, with Native American festivals, there's a, um, you know there's the pipeline issue. There's a lot of pipeline documentaries that are that are coming out, you know. But I think with the environment of the world in general, not just the U.S., you know, we're dealing with the environment. We're dealing with um, you know with um, violence against women. Um, it's all this whole thing. I think this plays into um, our talk here. It's all and my approach to filmmaking is like, how do you your, your protagonist in the film in one way or another is always the other. Well, what other is it? Well, is it an immigrant? Is it a Native American? Is it a you know, LGBTQ person? Um, what is it that makes other? And for me, how, whatever my characters I bring to life um, or bring to the screen, it's, um, wait, what was I going to say? The, oh, is, um, so whatever characters I bring into the screen, it's all a matter of trying to get to humanize the other. It's easy to hate or dislike people you know nothing about because they're other. But then once you realize, you're like, "Wow, I'm a lot like them." You know, I'm a lot like you know. It's, I love foreign films. I love to see what other people are doing in the other parts of the world because I'm like they're. As I said, our content might be different, but our processes are 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 very universal. And as a native filmmaker, sometimes I feel like. I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, reconfigure re, you know, reconfigure storytelling. It's just that I might have different colored paints that people aren't used to seeing and and maybe when I talk about patriarchy or something else comes in with there about women and violence or or hierarchy, you know, a cultural hierarchy that um because I'm painting with different colored paints, you might just you might see it from a different perspective. Cuz if you go now to you know, like, and I'm generalizing here, but with, like, all the Hollywood, you know, mainstream movies that are out now, it's, you know, you can always say it's like, oh, hero, you know, world in peril and man comes, you know, comes to save the day. Hero comes and saves the day. You can pretty much guess, like, what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. No, it's funny how bad some films are. Um, something, you know, you brought up uh, Empire, Empire State, it's called. Your film? Um, which is really yeah. great um and really powerful. And I, I really love seeing stuff like that. And I just you know, part of what draws me to you too is that you're not afraid to be uh political or like deal with social issues and stuff, which um there's a ton of stuff to say and we all have opinions, and I feel like there's a way to do that in your work that doesn't make it feel um I don't know, preachy or whatever there's a way to do it, like a lot of you know we're talking about Kiristami, and a lot of his stuff is like political and social, but you wouldn't necessarily know that because he's so he's such a talented filmmaker that he was using he was doing things that were like aesthetically interesting um and all that. So I I guess that's what helps the, uh, if you want to call it a pill, it, it helps the pill go down. Mm -hmm. Um, but something I've noticed is that, um, people who are really into movies, um, kind of feel, they still have that kind of assumption that those, those topics and stuff are delegated to, the kind of generic documentaries that mm-hmm. um pop up you know throughout the year, and that filmmaking like if it's too political, I don't want anything to do with it um, which is a shame because it kind of it prevents a lot of things from happening, and I think that the way to do it um is to make it you know you're doing something with the filmmaking you're experimenting um you're taking chances and stuff like that, but you're also still exploring an idea that, you know, has some sort of um substance to it. You know, it's not just um mm-hmm. some shallow stylistical thing, which uh, you know, I do like, but you can you can do all of it, you know, at once and I just don't know why it doesn't happen.
0: I mean in terms of my journey uh, from Syracuse and, and this whole idea of like learning a new language which is film language I can't. I didn't make all these projects. Pretty much all of them by myself. I did meet. Um, we were sitting in class one day, and um, they said our, our professor. She's like, "Well, you know, very many. You know, some of you may may well meet your collaborator. You know, in, in art school that happens all the time." And the first day, this is um, on our first day of class at Syracuse. Um, we had to introduce ourselves, and I was like, "Hi, I'm Terry Jones. I'm an Indian, American Indian." And I saw this darker guy cry away from me, and he's looking at me like, "Huh, So then we do our introduction, he comes around and he goes well i'm Govind i am from india I'm an Indian and so all of a sudden, the class sort of got this like weird thing where they're like wait there's the same it's the same word that connotates two different people from two different histories and two different cultures, and here we are in one room um but at that time, you know, we didn't become friends until the following semester, and that was the first project that we, you know, for portfolio review was Empire State. And so this whole, the whole, I think, looking back on it, the collaboration works on so many levels is because um, I have my perspective of being um, American Indian and the history that goes along with being colonized, and Golvind has his perspective of india being colonized and they got their independence i think in 1948 but we sort of come from it from different levels so we're using um i'm going say it? we're using the colonizers language of english but to but also film language to communicate with one another but yet we think indian in our own cultures and then so when we made empire state um I think it was I can't remember whose idea it was to make it um but we did want to have we didn't want it to be political uh we we thought it would be kind of funny to like have this actually we wanted it to be to tell you the truth we wanted it to be a wooden indian cigar wooden Indian guy, and you just see you just see everything from his perspective, and it isn't until the end when you realize it that it was this this wooden Indian, and as we started to go through with it, then we were like, well. Um, you know, this whole thing is like, well, how do we portray this, but yet make it sympathetic for the viewer to? Well, actually, we are kind of forcing. We are, we do we force the 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 viewer to see this film through the perspective of this displaced Native American veteran. And but it's not preachy. There's no there's no narration. There's no dialogue. It's just all soundscape, and it's all news footage, and um, I think an obscure BBC interview that we found. And, but in the end, you know, and then we put it away, we did it, we got great, you know, got a great response from faculty. Um, and then we moved on to our next project. And, but then, as I said, when I graduated from Syracuse, I started submitting to film festivals. And that's one thing I did learn as well. You know, when you, I, I submitted multiple films to film festivals. And for, you know, for some reason, well, I know why, Suit for My Brother was taking them all. So I ended up just putting everything else back on ice and just said well you guys will hopefully have your time in the sun at some point but right now they're just taking soup for my brother and um but Empire State came out um after it, i think it's usually about a year run with film festivals cuz then once you start to overlap you're like well i submitted that last year what do i have this year and with Empire State um it oh then when i watched it before i submitted it and then with the environment that we live in now especially politics i'm like this could be really deemed as a political film, but we're not saying anything. And that's the nice thing I think about film language is it's not necessarily sometimes what people say. It's sometimes it's not what they're not saying. And you let the audience fill that in themselves. And it's sort of like, how can anyone refute a native perspective on seeing these things on TV, but yet he's not saying anything and he's reacting in really subtle ways um yeah it's um it's great and actually that film um three of my films have um, screened at imaginative in toronto and the thing was Soup for my brother they it got a distributor from the canadian filmmakers distribution center they loved it and got a great response and they right away the next day they offered me a distribution deal and then after imaginative last year um, i had two films in there and it was kind of amazing because then they, they said we want to take those films as well. And it's kind of like humbling in a lot of way because the you know, the Canadian Filmmaker Distribution Center, like Stanley Breckage, you know, experimental filmmaker, he's he's got stuff in their archives. And I'm like, so it's nice to be validated in that way that they see some value in not just my filmmaking, but it's as like I said, the collaboration with Govind that um that they're they're responding to and they see value. Um, that's going to be, hopefully be go beyond like Empire State will hopefully feel relevant five years from now or 10 years from now.
1: Yeah. It's always nice when like you find yourself near like one of the greats, (laughs) even if it's just like, um, like I've had times where it's like, it just so happened. And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to take this as like a really, really high compliment because we kind of, uh, you need to feed the ego (laughs) sometimes um yeah with all the rejection
0: because I... sometimes when golvin and i were doing these projects sometimes we were like we don't really you know the other it was really regiment because it was funny like portfolio review you'd sit in this room you would you and your collaborator would sit in front of everybody else in this little theater and then faculty would give you a review and you couldn't respond you just took the feedback and but up to that point you got feedback from the other students and everybody kept saying like we don't really get your films yeah they're they're interesting but they're kind of experimental you know almost like it was a bad thing and and it kind of felt like but then sometimes you're like you could tell you could watch other people's you know we were in you know as i said my influences more i didn't say it but wait let me start over so i could tell in those classes that you could see who's who the filmmakers um influences were and tarantino was in a lot of them and i didn't want to make Tarantino films. Yeah, and it's like guns and drugs and death, and then real fast cuts and fast dialogue, and then Golvin and I, our films would come along, and they were, you know, they weren't long. There were some of them were like five, seven, ten minutes long, and they were spread out. The cuts were, you know, not they were long compared to the other films, but they were, but there were enough just to give enough breathing room, and then you moved on, and yeah, it was just really interesting in terms of like. Our influences, my influence, I can't speak for Govan, but my influences, I like Mike Lee, um, I like Chantal Ackerman, like they showed East to West, I think it was called, and it was just static shots of like, Eastern Europe. And there were just long takes. And it was just so interesting just to see what was developing. And, um, you know, and, and it's just, yeah, so that's sort of where. um, But I'm also on think in terms of even I don't know if it's our culture. I mean, in some ways, we're still both of us are still trying to figure out how it, why it works or how it works. But then I don't want to overanalyze it. So, excuse me. But I think one of the things to talk about the process when Govan and I work together, that we both come come bring what we have to the table. Our films is always a film by the two of us, or if we collaborate, a third or fourth person. But we do that more for the aspect of not showing hierarchy, because you know we live in a country where everything's hierarchy, you know, who's the executive producer, who's the producer, who's the writer, who's the director, and, you know, and you could see that in student films, you know, people couldn't wait to see written, produced, directed, edited, sound, everything by one person, so, you know, we just said, let's just make the film, and, you know, everybody knew that Govan was good with the camera, with cinematography, Um, I did the editing, but when we presented it, it was just a film by us, and um, it's just something that um, this is something that seems to be working, and i'm really looking forward to making our next film projects outside of academia um with a budget hopefully that 's something that i 'm learning during these um almost two years out of school is you know fundraising you know which which avenue do I go down or what works or i can't you know and it 's finding the right fit for you you know so you know so there's patreon is patreon good is you know, Kickstarter good and what are the you know benefits or, or the negative parts of that. Is it a GoFundMe page? Is it there's this new um not new, they've been around for a few years. It's called Seed and Spark and they give voice to or they try to um promote filmmakers who are um on the fringes. So, you know, women and LGBTQ and people of color. Um the thing I think about and I'm gonna do that next with our next short film called Sewn, S C W N. Um, I'm going to go through, try to go through Seed and Spark to do um, our fundraising there. And they claim, and I think it's pretty true, they have the highest percentage of funding rate of all the um, crowdfunding sites out there. I think they're at like 80% or something like that. But like I keep saying, I'm going to learn as I go along and see what works or what doesn't work. And um, But as of right now, it's sort of like everything that I've made or... I've collaborated with has been made pretty much for free you know the school provided the equipment and you know of course the feedback but there was no budget and it was kind of funny in Syracuse not Syracuse it was kind of funny in at imaginative in Toronto when suit for my brother played it played with films it was because it was Canada so it was in the international short section and that included Australia and it included New Zealand and a couple U.S. films but when you watch those credits roll, it's like it they had like funding from like you know film boards and you know they had sound design they had all these things, and then you know there was my little film, it just said a film by Terry Jones, and it was pretty just much me and my dad you know working and doing all the you know doing all the uh, the sound and and you know um taking down the equipment and stuff like that but um but it it's but to have it up there with other films, it's like, wow, I'm could you imagine? how we would be with a budget when we actually were able to pay people or buy, you know, pay for location, um, pay for sound design. I mean everything that we've done so far, you know, has just been my ear using, you know, I'm still old school. I'm still using Final Cut Pro 7. I gotta, you know, I I know with our next projects, you know, we'll definitely be doing 4K. And when actually a couple of our last films were done high def um but we found a way around it so i would edit in final cut pro 7 then i would give it to govin and he would bring it into another program do the color correction then send them back to me but that was way too cumbersome and i'm like i just got to upgrade i just got to learn the new you know i don't know i don't even know where to go whether it's premiere or final cut x i don't know
1: i upgraded my computer uh the ios recently um without knowing that it would make it so that I couldn't run Final Cut 7 anymore. <laughs> so I like kind of screwed myself. Um, I have a lot of old projects um, that are done editing, but, you know, I haven't played anywhere. So I still need to, if they were to play anywhere, I would need to export them. So I have to use my like somewhat ancient computer. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of new new stuff, I was like, all right, I can't, I, I really have to move on from 7 now. Like I cannot use it at all. Um but I use Premiere now, and you can actually get a. You can look for. I, I think you could probably download it where it just. It's a it's a way that makes Premiere just operate like Final Cut Seven, so you don't really even have to relearn anything. Um, so yeah, if you if you end up like moving on to that, you know, you'll be in good hands. You just kind of look Google for that, and then you know, you can find it. Um, but yeah, to go back to that, it's always like, I think we kind of don't necessarily pay attention when we're watching a movie to, you know, when you're watching something like indie at a festival or something, you know, even this, even these local festivals, how crazy the credits are. And, you know, you say you have a small credits list. Um, and most of the stuff I do also has small credits. Um, and you kind of – that's another way to also go back to the what we were talking about earlier with, like, dealing with rejection and, and not getting into programs or festivals that you wanted to or that could be ben- very beneficial to you. Like, what you're up against is watch this film and see how many, like – uh foundations or companies or whatever are like just in the pre-roll credits you know how many are there and then look at the end credits and see how many are there and it's like that's like money that's influence that's power that's like a ton of stuff that you don't have so if you don't have that you're like up against a lot so it's you should try as hard as you can not to take uh rejection personally. Um, but I also wanted to to ask you this kind of broad question, and I wanted to know what is it like to be a um, a Native American filmmaker. And I I asked that recognizing that um, it's it's something that you identify as, so you can't really answer that. And like, as of like being, you know, um, a different kind of filmmaker, but in terms of like. Uh, you you mentioned your classmates were like really into Tarantino and stuff. So, just personally, like, what is it? What is it like um, for you to operate in these kind of circles and and whatnot?
0: Yeah, there's um. What was funny? Well, I'll just make a funny little joke here first. So the last um, the last um, narrative we did, we actually it was Govin's senior thesis. It was called Unearthed. You know it's a family it's about a blended family the grandmother is american indian and the father is white and then they have a son and he's got a boy and they live on the farm and the son wants to leave the farm gets a job and goes um and goes uh he wants to get a job to get off the farm he gets a factory job so there's familial chaos and then there's got to be some resolve you know at the end it was kind of like our our stab at really making this a show we can make I don't want to use the word typical, that's bad, I, I that, that we could make a narrative and it have a beginning, a middle, and end, and have three acts and have everything make sense. Because up to that point in time, as I said, we, our budgets might have been low or practically to nothing. But And it's not that Govan and I, we were really exclusive in terms of who came on set, but it just worked better with just the two of us and whoever our actors were because they were kind of intimate settings they didn't really need have a lot i mean yeah we had lights and you know i think with a film gripped we needed to simulate sunlight morning sunlight and first time govan ever really worked with lights and we had it for four hours when you watch the film you're like wow that really looks like sun that really looks like sunlight you know and um no what was my point so i ventured off into gripped and then unearthed what was your question sorry i forgot what i was saying um Oh, okay, yeah. So up in the next, so, you know, so pretty much it's just Govan and I on set, pretty much more or less. And a lot of students would see our work in progress. You know, part of the students in our class would see our work in progress, and then the final result. A lot of the class would only see it during portfolio review. So no one actually ever saw the the process that went into it. So when we were doing our th- senior thesis, there was more. It was more of a reveal. Like we had the first semester was like making, you know, writing the script. So then we sit there and we read the script. And then, so Govind and I, we, and I put it this way too, a lot of the films that I've made with Govind are Native American themed, but sometimes they don't start with a Native American story. Um, So, wait, sorry, get, let me get to the joke first. So, so as we're sitting there and we're like, okay, here's the story, and then they're like, what race are they? And I go, I don't know, you know, because Govind and I were more concerned to like, are there any holes in our story? Does the dialogue sound real? Like those are—that's the kind of feedback that you want to hear back. You know, and some girl in the class goes, "Well, I thought they were white because they were eating um, mashed potatoes," and I was like, "Whoa!" Like, okay, <laughs> and um, you know, and I, as you're asking, like, what's it like to be a native filmmaker? And sometimes you have to—I cho- don't want to say choosing your battles, but it's, sometimes there, there's teachable moments, and sometimes you do want to humanize. The other sometimes it's me or sometimes it's my culture to people who might not know about it and uh, uh, you know when I heard that I really didn't even want to just say it's, I just I just kept my mouth quiet I'm like you know what? I don't even want to answer that <laughs> question um, but but in terms of like um, it's how could I say okay so being a Native American filmmaker is I'm an artist. um that artists take risks and in the dominant culture, sometimes risks, taboo things can be celebrated. Um, but for me and where I, I can't speak for all native filmmakers, but where I come from, um, we're really, uh, closed. So like a closed community and yeah, I have cultural knowledge. Like with suit for my brother in that film, there's, um, you know there's the voice of my great grandfather he's speaking Seneca Indian and he's he's um doing a thanksgiving day address um it's about my dad commemorating my his brother's loss he talks about the process of uh, having it going on a year's journey and then you know on your anniversary you you go to the ancestors um and i get feedback from people where they're like it feels like a really native film but and it feels authentic but from my end, I didn't give them any more information than... So I'm not giving away any, like I say, with my community, I'm not giving away any family secrets. I didn't put in any ceremonies. I didn't refer to anything that would be taboo. Because that would be my worst fear right now is for someone to say, because a lot of our knowledge, our culture, our language, our songs, they're all communal. They all belong to us. So as a, as an artist, I have to be very careful about how I use music, how I use Stories or elements of stories, because that, as I said, that would be my worst fear to come. Someone come back to me and say, "How dare you do that?" You know, you're speaking for all of us. Um, So there's like this self-regulation aspect of it that I have within myself. That you know, I'm like, does that push it too far, or how could I do it with and still get away with it? But so working with Govind as well, when we apply, when uh, aside from being from India and being American Indian. Um, but there's also cultural references that we had to be careful of. When we were filming in the Czech Republic, we did this film called Scarlet. It was about a scientist who tries to bring his dead wife back to life. And the actors, we were in Czech Republic, so they're very fair-skinned there. And the actors and actress we used were, were Czech. So as we're getting the camera ready, we're getting ready to put everything together. And then we're like, all right, let's set up the camera. Let's you know see the hands come in. And the other collaborator I think we were working with... Um, He was from India as well, but his dark hands come in over this white body. And I was like, oh, I mean, it's almost was like channel. I could I could already tell that if we ever did a story that way, that it would be it would be risque or taboo, you know, in terms of race. And, you know, and Govan and I, you know, Govan's like, well, everyone where he goes and I've been to his country to visit, you know, everybody's Indian it's like the res everyone here is indian but it's sort of like when you go outside of the outside world and you realize people sometimes a lot of times aren't aren't um valued based on who they are sometimes they're valued on how much money they have or or what they do or where they come from or what they look like or what gender they are so there's sort of those elements that you know we have to be very mindful when we put something in um, like you mentioned before with um Empire State it's a very it could be deemed a very political film but at the same time i made sure not to put anything in there that's like um could i say like history you know we're all products of history and i think it's very easy to point fingers at history and say look what history has done to us or look how our people have have suffered and are continuing to suffer because if you want to bring someone who's outside of your community into v2 to, you know you're inviting them to you it's like serving a meal you're inviting them in to sit at your table but if the first thing you want to get them to do is to feel guilt or to feel um angry that's not the I, I look at it that way not that way i'd rather invite them in as i said with characters that are relatable um very universal circumstances and they just happen to be native or happen to be american indian um and and Those are things that I'm always conscious, you know, always conscious with every project we work on. Well, who's viewing it and how will they receive it? And then, you know, it's just, as I said, it's not just like a mainstream, you know, hero. And it's great with this um, Black Panther that's out now because it's like turning everything on its head. It's sort of like, you know, the African American or black experience. I don't know anything about it. I just, I just a little bit, I haven't seen it, but. In terms of turning everything on its head it's giving a different perspective and having characters that people aren't used to seeing and and i'm sure it's like it turns everything on its head like in terms of who's a villain who's a good guy and who's this who's that but um that's eventually you know i mean i to tell you the truth i'm not sure we'll ever get to a point where there will be no such thing as racism or discrimination or injustice but Um, I've always approached, not just as a filmmaker, but as an American Indian in terms of what my contribution is, what my legacy will be for the future, is like, I want people to say, I didn't like cure cancer, but at the same time, I'm like, he made things less worse. And sometimes I feel like if we, especially in the dominant culture, you live in a world full of ideals. This is what happiness looks like. This is what success looks like. This is what beauty looks like. And for me and where I come from as an individual, I'm like, well, it's more um, quantitative or it's more qualitative. Not qu- you can quantify um, if things are getting better by if they're getting less worse. It might sound pessimistic, but that sort of, to me, makes me feel optimistic because i am said, you know what, I'm better than I was yesterday and I'm doing better than I was a year ago than having this thing on the horizon like, I can't ever reach that. I can't ever reach utopia. I can't ever reach where... I'm going to be accepted as myself or for myself.
1: That would be a great note to end on. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think I think we will. Um, so where can people find your work website-wise?
0: Okay, website. The best thing to do is just um, go to my updated website. It's called Torn. Sorry, Torn Jersey Media. Um, torn Jersey is an anagram of my name, torn, uh, Terry Jones. But I'm not the only Terry Jones in the world. Um, I got Torn Jersey from Monty Python. Here's a member; his name is Terry Jones. And one time, I used to like to watch old episodes of Monty Python because I could see my name scroll at the <laughs> end. And uh, one time, Torn Jersey came up, and I'm like, "Where's my name? Where's my name?" So I wrote down Torn Jersey, and I go, "Oh, it's an anagram of my name." So um, TornJersey.com it has um, all the information of. Um, information on me and Govind. It's um, the Torn Jersey Media's uh, myself and Govind. And um, we also have trailers and links to the films that we refer to here in the interview and other ones. And there's also ways that you can help support us, whether it's our Patreon page or um, or what else? There's No, just my Patreon page right now.
1: Okay, cool. Um, Thanks again for coming on. That was really great. And uh... yeah, I've had a... sorry, what did you say?
0: Oh no, yeah, no, it was great to to talk to you. It's um, it's it's like like um, I don't realize like I usually have all these dialogues going on in my own head, but be able to say it in a way that someone else would to hear it. Um, it, re- it just reinforces my where I am right now. I don't even know if that makes sense. But...
1: <laughs> makes sense to me. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, it was great talk. Thank you again for coming on, and uh, I'll see you on the internet. Cool. Good luck. You too. Bye.